0: Hello everybody, welcome back to the And Again podcast. I am a football writer and analyst and I'm joined as always, I say as always, we've been away for a long time, but I'm joined as always <laughs> uh, by my friend H, a football content creator that focuses on the tactical parts of the beautiful game. You know H, I was I was looking back at our last episode, we were talking, so it was like the review of the World Cup and I remember us saying in that podcast, we were saying, oh the World Cup's absolutely mm-hmm. taking it out of us, we're finished, we're burnt out. <laughs> and it really did kill us um but for for people yeah. listening um for the people listening we had a lot of sort of life commitments and and uh things that had us occupied but we're back now um with the greatest football podcast on earth uh self-proclaimed <laughs> um but but we we take those Um uh, H tell me uh how have you been fella
1: yeah i've been good been been working
0: hard on On content, grind as well, but yeah, I finally got a bit of free time now. So, I've seen. um, I mean, the the videos are are lovely. You know what, my favorite video of yours. So, obviously, I haven't been putting out much. I've just been like, you know, in the last couple of months, I've been in my that player's nice bag. Like, I I just tweet like, oh, I like that guy. Oh, that that guy, that that guy's a good player. But like, um, the the video of yours I really liked was um, the the Evan. That was it. The Evan Ferguson one. Oh, I think it might have just been like youngsters in general. Island, um, the the island, yeah, yeah the island. you in general. I really like that video. I think it blew up as well. Like fully blew up on. Um,
1: oh, probably. I've got like a whole like cult on on Twitter now who follow me. Oh, just from like I, I, like Irish followers. When Ireland played against friends, oh, I had to be there. I had to be there. <laughs> no,
0: nah, that that was lovely, and I think um, I'm to, oh, and the Burnley one was actually really nice as well. The the company Burnley. Um, yeah, the piece that are did.
1: They are nuts.
0: Yeah. In, in terms of championship sides, I mean, like this season, obviously, they're, they're clear, but like they're, they're probably up there as, as one of the best championship sides ever on, on the football they're playing. Yep.
1: In, in- yeah, I think points-wise, maybe they won't brush it up on, I don't know, I think Reading got over 100 points hmm. at one point, but I think like the Wolves and the Fulham sides probably might end up on the same, similar amount of points, but in terms of pure football and structure on and off the ball, i've i've been shocked with what i've seen from vincent companies Burnley, and i think the the main thing was like the they, they didn't play anywhere near the style of football he's now playing at burnley what he played at anderlecht when i was doing yeah. a lot of like research on him he was very proactive at anderlecht you know very you know kind of in-game adjustments and uh, you know adapted to the opponent but now it's double inverted fullbacks fluid possession three one six. one 6 like yeah he, he's He's brilliant. Like he's been a joy to watch. Honestly,
0: I, I think that's a little bit down to like I don't know. This is going to be a stupid example, but like when I play football, so I, I've I've barely played football manager. I've played it like twice, but I remember the first time I played it. Well, like one thing that really stood out to me was like how often I was like pausing it to like change things, and I was like, this is not like yep. as a real manager, you'd it's not natural. Let to, it ride. To, yeah, you sort of like. I feel, or in that in the game, I felt uneasy, like, just letting letting the game play out for how it was, because I wanted to, I was like, oh, nothing's happening, I want to do something, I want to do something. I think maybe that's like a, uh, in, in a managerial sense, possibly just like, at the start, it's just a bit of inexperience, like, you, uh, as you get experience, you just, you're okay with just letting the game play out, because nine minutes is a long time, and if you've got better players than the opposition, and, a, and you believe in your system, then I've seen it with City as well, just sort of us having the ball, playing our kind of pragmatic football at times now uh, and then just getting a winner in the second half and at the end of the day, you're just aiming for the three points.
1: Yeah, it's almost, City have almost become just inevitable now where I think Pep Guardiola, he's in game management, doesn't even have to really come to surface or whatever, I think. Mm. City have City and both Arsenal as well just with the possession it's just a matter of time every time they've you know got a little bit of sustained possession it's just a matter of time really
0: yeah I mean I mean we'll, we'll touch on both of those teams um, in in this episode I think it's um, I, I think we can start with the City Liverpool game actually like I only got the extended highlights which is a travesty because from what I've seen Actually, I saw some of the actual game. I saw some of the the second half as well. But like, just in general, I think that performance, and from what I saw of that game, that's absolutely one of the finest, like Pep Guardiola, Man City performances in his like, yep. cr- in his career, essentially. And, and like, yep. the, the goals were just like they they were ridiculous. I think for me, like, obviously, we we've um, got this like. Uh, will gunduan stay, extend? Will he go Barcelona? Will he move on? I, I thought gunduan was ridiculous. Jack Grealish as well. Like now he's really hitting hitting the, the form that um, you know, y- you can say this is the player that we bought for a hundred million for. Yeah. Um yeah, and, and just in general, I, I can't point anyone out and, and say they were like, oh, that player wasn't good. I think it was it was sort of a perfect game all around.
1: Yeah, that's it a city of just like <clears throat> I've quite enjoyed like Pep Guardiola tinkering a little bit like because it's you know some of the lineups he's been putting out it, you look at him and you go well how is City going to line up this week you know yeah. and like John Stone's coming into midfield for that for that game Honestly, one of the best centre-halves I may, He's he is ridiculous I, I've never seen I've never seen a player
0: get underrated because they're English yeah like if he ah, oh, he's I think, so I think it's sort oh, of, sorry. I think it's sort of down to the fact that he was he was error prone at the beginning of his career. I would say like yeah. that stigma kind of stuck. And I've mentioned this uh, to other people as well, but like when mm. you're um when you're, I don't know. I I think like to get universally rated it's more of a, a Champions League thing. And see have obviously like fell yeah. short a couple of times in the Champions League, um. And then, like in the Premier League, week to week, he's just so ridiculously good. But people aren't tuning in towards City versus Southampton, City versus West Ham, like every week yeah. in terms of the global scale. Um, and people don't really give him his roses just because sometimes he's that second centre back rather than the vocal leader like Ruben Diaz was. Um, but now I'm so glad, like honestly, like when I when I see all, all these outlets, like the the, the John Stones videos are getting like. Little fifteen k likes. I'm thinking we started this. We were here when nobody else was. We were um, here. The uh, price of the
1: brick's gone up.
0: Yeah, price of the brick going up, man. No, no, for real. Like, like that goal where where Stones basically was involved in the entire move. It genuinely, like, oh. if you if you said that that was Enzo Fernandez doing all of that, and he's a natural centre midfielder, hundred twenty millions worth. I would have said, yeah, that literally looks like Enzo Fernandez' contribution to the entire in, entire game and. Uh, the fact that he does that and then drops back into centre-back, like, it's just such... like John it, Stones. Just, yeah, man. I John
1: Stones that. moves better at deep midfield than any of Manchester United's deep midfielders.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I'll actually agree with you on that. I'm trying to think, is there... Nah,
1: honestly. Like, he, I was watching that clip. It, there's just that segment in it for the goal where he picks the ball up, he pops it off, he picks it up, he pops it off, and then receives it again, turns, clips yeah. it. And then it makes that like an underlapping run, which is a good yeah. run. Yeah. And he does oh it's just like wow. And the thing is yeah. when when Phenomenal.
0: he when he pushes up, he doesn't just push up and go towards the ball. He sort of holds his own because he knows another player's yeah. gonna go there. Like the rotations at City, uh they're they're getting to this point where it depends on who plays, but there's always been this like connection between certain players uh, where where the rotations are so natural and so fluid that it's impossible to to deal with. We see it with Arsenal uh, in terms of Saka and Odegaard. Um sometimes with, with uh Shaka, Zinchenko, Martinelli, like there's always these, and I've mentioned this before, but there's always these like subunits within teams, and like the way that these subunits work together and have a, a natural chemistry, teams are better for trying to like facilitate that chemistry. And I think like Maris and De Bruyne have a really nice chemistry. Um, yep. I think Gundogan has a really nice chemistry With basically everyone But I think Gundwan and, and Alvarez do as well Nathan Aki and, and, and Grealish When Cancelo left People were worried But I think Aki and Grealish have, have formed a really nice partnership So I just think like Sort of this communication between players Is like another level of Where you can get quality um, Without having yeah. it to be directly coached So I think Yeah just in general Really really impressive From, from City in that game that game, it was it was just a brilliant footballing performance. I think,
1: that, like you said, there wasn't a single player you could pick out and just be a bit speculative of. And Jack Grealish, like you said before, it's just it's just coming into his own this past month. And every time I've watched him, he's just been brilliant. He's got retention. He carries. He's he's carrying much more confidently. Yeah. Um. You can just tell the synergy the synergy with the runners around him is just becoming far better. Um. You know, he can he can work a flank on his own as well. Um. Uh, which is something that. You know, I always thought he was kind of like a Jaden Sancho type of player where, you know, he constantly. I was literally, needs gonna, ma-
0: I was literally gonna mention this comparison. Yeah. I was gonna say, now that we're seeing Grealish sort of come into his own and and really excel and express himself, and and the story yeah. of Jaden Sancho, even after sort of going away for a couple of months and and training on his own and things like that, it doesn't seem to ha- have kicked off again. Like, where do you see the difference in between first of all, I think a lot of people have compared them. Do you see a similarity in that game? And then secondly, like where do you see the difference in in how they're actually like expressing their quality? Like, why is it working for Grealish now and and, and not working for Sancho, In your opinion,
1: I'm actually re- I'm so happy you've asked that question because I think I've got like a really good answer, and I've been I've been asking myself this for like a few for like a few weeks now. Hmm. And me and you once spoke about the difference between um, inverted wingers having a lot more like. Um, purpose in their actions and a little bit more intent yeah. and aggression in the final third play and the the two systems aren't comparable um, I think Manchester City is all about control and retention and you know having the ball in these areas and circulating possession and working the block and Jack Grealish does that to an extent that I've you know he's been one of the best players in the Premier retaining the ball he's you know he's yeah. so secure in possession his touch is magnificent Um and I just feel like I was watching Jack Grealish and there was times in the Liverpool game where he, he runs horizontally across the face of the area and he could play a, he could try a really aggressive slip-through ball down the side or, you know, just someone running off him. And he just waits and waits and waits and then just gives it to the, the spare man who's, you know, waiting to receive it in, in a bit of space. And I feel like that's exactly what Jaden Sancho would do. But the environment and the instructions and the playstyles and the rhythm that the two teams play in is completely different. Yeah. You know Manchester United uh, are are accustomed to attacking uh, with intent and aggression. You know Marcus Rashford, direct wingers, pacey wingers, in behind runners. And I feel like the the type of profile that Jadon Sancho is right now is, it's, it's not a bad profile. Like this is this is something that he's not a bad player. But yeah. the environment and the current situation of Manchester United as a as a footballing team doesn't suit the profile that he is. Whereas a team like Manchester City, who is all about retention and creation and you know suspension of pressure. Um he is Jack Grealish is one of the best in the world at doing that. Um he's a secure winger and um you know Jaden Sancho is a secure winger, but we've we've seen this for we've seen this for a while now with Jaden Sancho, we've always asked for a bit more aggression and directness and you know it's just it's not coming at the moment. I don't think it's something that could be taught overnight, aggression. In the final third, I I criticized Martin Erdegaard for it last season. Yeah. uh, And he stepped up massively this season and started making late box runs, direct passes in behind. And
0: when you mention aggression, are you are you talking about specific actions or are you just talking about like the intensity of of any of the actions? Because I think like with Manchester United, you have like obviously the the vertical play and and sort of like wanting to run in behind when you see Marcus Rashford playing. Um he excels, I think, naturally because he makes those runs in behind. He, um, attacks the game really well. But I think with Sancho, he's more of like a. I think at Dortmund we've seen him sort of attack the space, but like he normally does it from like midfield areas, kind of. Um, but like, yeah, w- would you say he he could perform well with the right intensity, doing it from sort of midfield zones and then releasing the pass or would you say he needs to be more sort of running behind last line intense in that way
1: yeah I think you, you're you pretty much spot on like we've seen we've seen Jaden Sancho do it the aggressive final third and when the intent and aggression is more down to not just him as a player not having that but it's also the options around him that need to you yeah. know link the dots and you know having Erling Haaland uh, by, uh, by me in it while well, That's how long I've not been on this. (laughs) (laughs) Having Erling Haaland and Borussia Dartman obviously give him one of the most direct last line runners there is in the game. Uh, A similar profile to him, nowhere near the quality, in my opinion, but Mm. Kovar and Victor Ossiman. Kovar would not be as good as he he has been this season if Victor Ossiman didn't provide these, you know, backline piercing runs. He ran the channel as well. And at the moment, Manchester United haven't got a number nine who is you know, a direct runner, the only direct runner who's ever around Jaden Sancho at any portion of the game is Luke Shaw. Uh, yeah. And it takes Manchester United a lot of sustained pressure and possession to actually get our full-backs into the last line consistently. And I think we, we just don't have the profiles around it to compensate for a player who is that, you know, control-based and retention-based, you know, Manchester United want uh, you know, going out to square, someone up, take it down the line and cross a ball. And he, he, even if the ball is cleared, they want that intent in the possession. And Jaden Sancho does have that. And we have seen it at Dortmund, like he did say. But we don't have a number nine that facilitates him in the way that he played at Dortmund, for example. And I think the same is with Anthony as well. You know, Anthony had a big man in Sebastian Haller. And when he when he joined Manchester United, I always said that, the ceiling for me, for Anthony, was a creative a creative wide threat. I yeah. thought his crossing technique and his ball striking technique from wider areas of the pitch left, a lot of growing and breathing room for a really elite tier crosser. And we've not seen that because Manchester United don't have that profile of number nine, even though they have a big man in the box. He's still not a potent threat in the air. And I think it's just having the synergy between the centre-forward and the wingers is something that Jadon Sancho had at Dortmund, that Kavera has at Annapoli, and that Grealish now has with Haaland, yeah. that Manchester United yeah. don't have right now. Um, and it's not necessarily a, a hindrance of Jadon Sancho, it's more a hindrance on the environment around him that's not getting the best out of him. But the thing is, then I, again, I... you could also argue... Players shouldn't need that to perform you should adapt to your surroundings and stuff like that. I know people mention that part a lot, so
0: yeah on on that point, I don't fully agree in the, when when people say you should just be able to sort of excel regardless of the environment because I think everybody's developed in a way that suits their strengths and weaknesses. I think like the next sort of like frontier of squad building and scouting players and things like that is not gonna be buying players based on the performances and I think we've kind of seen this now, but, but not buying players based on performances mm-hmm. right now or um, performances of, of this season, but instead you're you're buying them for the qualities that they have based on where they fit within your team. Um, because I think a lot of times players are bought just because they put up this many goals. They do really impressive things for certain teams. Sancho at Dortmund was a really impressive player, but there's like so many different factors that made him impressive. And we obviously touched upon his teammates and also how he was used, but then the spaces that the league provides, um, also his actual fitness in himself, like he looked more agile, um, he, he he looked sort of quicker as well. That's something that for whatever reason isn't the case at Manchester United. Then on top of that, you have all of the eyes and and media and spotlight in England that probably negatively impacts Shadon Sancho with all of the English speaking criticism in the Bundesliga, sort of German speaking, you're, you're hidden away from that in a way. And I think it's a really nice place for sort of English players to go, especially younger players to go as well. Um, So when you combine all of these things, like it's not massively surprising. I think I've mentioned before when, when Sancho was at Dortmund, I, I thought he was overrated for what people were rating him as, but I still thought he was impressive. Um, but that's because of the qualities of his profile rather than the actual output that he, that he was demonstrating. And I think like when you're spending yep. money at that level, I think you really need to take into consideration why is this player performing as well as he is? And I think a lot of people yep. don't ask um, that question.
1: Um, that is so spot Like we talk about profiling players correctly, but that also comes into the you know, the frame of profiling is the the environment that they're in, the players they're working with, the players that are around yeah. them at all times. You know, Kavara would work pretty much the same at City as what he's doing at Napoli because of that centre forward partnership that he has got um, with Victor Rossi men being so, you know, likewise of Erling Haaland. So I think that kind of environment and profiling of players as a collective needs yeah. to be thoroughly looked at when signing players because, now there's that many there's that many things that have come and gone with Manchester United over the past mm. two three years that you could have never have predict, predicted that Manchester United would be without a centre forward who complements a winger because yeah. just three years ago we had about fifteen centre forwards so yeah
0: yeah, yeah. no uh, I don't know about that I, I, the thing is just just as somebody who likes players who <laughs> whose stocks are low. <laughs> wanted, wanted them to sort of <laughs> Explode and perform, like just in my heart, I want Jaden Sancho to perform well. Um, yeah, and I think there's possibility for it, but but whether that's at United, I don't know. I think sometimes like the environment is just, I don't know. With, with Rashford, I, I said that he was a world class player, even when everybody was sort of criticizing him and even talking about wanting him to leave. But but at that point, I was saying he needs to play in the position where he's most familiar. He needs to get minutes he needs to be trusted and he needs to be played with players around him that suit him. Luke Shaw, left wing, playing a lot um, and then obviously getting yeah. back into form. I think you can try that with Sancho but when the stakes are so high and every game is three points and you really need to like win everything, it's hard to play players back into form, um, especially if they've not initially yeah. shown uh, quality and and without credit in the bank. So I don't know, man. maybe if I see Sancho go back to Germany and, and perform well, like, it would be a good thing. Uh, but yeah, wherever he goes, uh, uh, I really, I, I just want, I want the boy to 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 thrive and and cook. Um, but yep, before we move, before sure. we move on from the Manchester United game, let's briefly touch upon uh, your mate <laughs> David De Gea. <laughs> oh no! Uh, I saw. It. I'm gonna no, find this tweet. This. I'm gonna find this tweet because it was amazing. Um, yeah, M um, MF forty, I think. Newcastle fan, uh, yeah, yeah, the the mutual, um, yeah, the mutual, mutual Newcastle fan I have here. Look, it was honestly a hilarious tweet. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it out uh, in case anybody listening uh, is not familiar with what we're referencing. Um, <laughs> but but obviously he's a Newcastle fan. Newcastle played United. He tweeted word for word. He said, "Words can't describe how joyous it was every time De Gea was on the ball. I knew we were winning it back." I was celebrating forced back passes to him, like I was celebrating winning throws. You know, uh, you know how mad that is. And then uh, one of my other uh, friends, Alex, he said everyone in the everyone in the Gallagher was laughing uh, when they kept playing short in the eightieth. It was jokes. Same uh, with my lot in the east End. Baldies instantly screaming press. I mean, a crazy indictment. Uh, like like yeah. When when casual fans. Of the opposition are aware of it to that extent. I think, like, surely there has to be like a light bulb moment for. I mean, not only fans of um, fans of your club, but but, like higher up staff, etc.
1: Yeah, it's something that. Do you know what the worst part is? It's not like you know this has been going on for a few weeks. You know, it's been prolonged now, and I think with I think with the current with the current contract talks and the David De Gea situation and what's going on at Manchester United, I think every single game we're looking for what whatever the person who's offering this contract to him is looking for. Yeah. Um, and for me, I just, I've just i said it for years at this point now, um, he, he is a detriment to the side when we want to play
0: professional-based football. Um, I think and, he still has a role as a leader in the team, but I just don't think yeah. he can be starting most games for a possession heavy side like like you said yeah
1: the, i understand the cuz he's been at the club for well over well oh, he's been a, been at the club for a decade now uh, 11 mm. years i think actually so i think there is there is understand it's understandable why he wants to keep david de Gea around for them reasons you know he knows the club in and out he, he's come out numerous times and said he likes it in manchester now um but i'm He's 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 probably. I think he is actually the most expensive player in the Premier League, getting paid per week, and he's a player who. I mean, probably, I, at that point,
0: I wouldn't want to leave either. If we're being honest. Yeah, I know. I, I
1: respect <laughs> the hustle, man. I respect the hustle. I mean, he does that. That game for me yesterday was almost like not only an eye opener, but I think after the international break, I forgot how bad we were at playing out, yeah. and I even tweeted this under. Trust the Sancho it even tweeted it <laughs> under his tweet basically saying that every every successful pass he makes it feels like it's still the wrong pass he's playing mm-hmm. passes to people on their weaker foot he's playing passes in stupid angles he's playing passes on the weaker side he's not playing it in front of them to step up onto it he just yeah. wants the ball away from his feet as soon as possible and he knows he knows he can't trust himself on the ball so he just as soon as the press he stepped up onto him he just goes and Jacob Murphy is literally just his second on an interview saying that we knew straight from the off to press the keeper.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and the fact that opposition teams are realising that opposition fans like you say are realising it in the stands. The thing and is when it's, when, it's, people... when it's
0: casual fans it's crazy because it's not even like yeah, like casual fans they're there just to enjoy the game. So when they're bringing tactical insight more time is insight that's very obvious or superficial um yeah and yeah like you can witness from the ground you don't need to go watch a replay or anything like that like it's very clear that that was a a method that Newcastle really I mean Newcastle are a pressing team in general but I think like it was clear if you compare for for example the Arsenal game where Arsenal against that ridiculous Newcastle press still managed to play out somehow um compared to United who, who completely struggled I think like is is bizarre, and and we've seen we've seen early in the season, and we've commended Ten Hag's adaptability to to play to his players' profiles and and weaknesses and strengths. Um, I'm I'm wondering why maybe that hasn't been the case, um, or at least it wasn't the case against Newcastle. Um, yeah, but, but I'm not sure. It's his
1: worst tactical performance I've seen as a coach so far at Manchester United. I would probably say.
0: Yeah, um, the thing is, I, I, I can just think, think for the injuries, but even then, like I think, yeah, having having McTominay in ten, having De Gea want yeah. to play short, I don't know, and yeah, then and just, then we taking, had Anthony, no taking Anthony off as well, who was who wasn't amazing, but who, the best who had 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 retention in his game and looked, yep. looked decent relative to to the game as well, so it was an interesting yeah. I, I,
1: I just didn't. I just didn't like the game plan. I think the first half, he, he, he like he's he's really he's really faffing around with Bruno a lot to try and get him in deeper positions to to launch these longer balls in behind in transition.
0: Yeah. But
1: what we're currently facing is the problem that we can't buy the first line of press. And when you go into St James's after the <laughs> international break, you know you know you're going to get pressed off the park. And the fact that we didn't have you know a plan B to what was quite obviously going to happen. It is the scary thing and, yeah. you know, even when we worked out of the press, we weren't working out of the press in, you know, in nice, you know, little patterns and shapes. We were we were knocking it down the line. We were trying to win second balls and I understand that you can't really go long against Newcastle. It, ironically, that's what was done with us the entire of the game but it, it's just, it was hard to watch. I think, you know, you can you can talk about the injuries and stuff but, if I'm being honest, Casemiro would have probably made a little bit of an improvement in that game because yeah. he's a natural number six, but he wouldn't have dropped the shoulder Chris, and,
0: yeah. you know, yeah, he's not that guy. And I think we're, we're Casemiro seriously was looking a, at Manchester Casemiro's, United. Car- being, Casemiro, sorry, a tidy passer, but like, he's a tidy passer when he's facing the game rather than receiving exactly it under that, pressure. Yeah, uh, yep. yeah I, I think I can sympathise a little bit with, with Ten Hag and Manchester United you know, just because... Mm he doesn't have his pieces right now and like he's been making things work with a a squad that has a lot of holes within it but like i think yeah i mean that game was i don't know that game was poor and and you mentioned united sort of launching direct balls quite often i think even when you're going to do that against a team that's trying to jump on you if you don't have the quality at the back to shift the angle a little bit or or sort of bait the opposition into certain areas before playing that pass I think it's sort of a bit it's a bit weak I think Manchester City what Manchester City did real, really well was like um, sort of bait Liverpool and manipulate the angles and, and Salah and a couple of the other players tried to jump on City's defence City managed to pass around them and then we did go long at times but when we went long yep. there was so much space to go long into because we'd created the angle for us Um so yeah. I do think it's just sort of like a a transition between the two sides, sort of similar to like how if Spurs get an attacking manager, how they'll have to transition away from this pragmatic yeah. side, and uh, then that teething period is awful for for any coach, really. Yeah, there was just problem. I think
1: it it looks strange because on the eye, it looks like Manchester United commit quite a few bodies into their own half They're trying to try and get really like cemented uh, possession, but when we can't force the ball long, or when we can't pass the ball short, we can't play out from the bat, we force the ball long. And it's almost like we've still got no bodies in the forward areas, even though we've, like, yeah. it, even though we've only got five players playing out in, like, a 4-1 or a 2-3 or whatever. Yeah. It, we just feel like we have no bodies on, in the final third. I think Sabitsu was really poor. Um, and, you know, he's a player I was really excited about at Manchester United. And I've still, obviously, very minimal game time so far. But just... The mid the midfield was completely skewed. We rotated it in the second half um, and shuffled the pack and stuff. And I get we still are missing two of the starting midfielders, but the personnel still with them midfielders there is nowhere near and you know, nowhere near Manchester City's or Arsenals. Yeah. Um, we've only really got maybe two players who are one hundred percent comfortable in playing out the back in the back five, and that'd probably be no, Lissandro no, Martinez oh, and Luke Shaw. and Alessandro. Yeah, I think Lissandro yeah. Martinez gets put in very, very, very sticky situations on the ball, but he's that agile and his hips like turn that fast that he can almost just dance his way out of when he's getting pressed. Yeah, and that is like, a like our field. golden ticket out of the press. Yeah, yeah, it's like our golden ticket out of the press, but we only get two of them a game. If the ball's worked to the right-hand side, it's getting hoofed into the channel and we're losing it on the second ball. Yeah, And that's just a problem that we've not only just faced on Sunday, but... We played Brentford on Wednesday and mm. they're going to press the life out of us. And I just don't see at the moment for Manchester United how how they will adapt to playing out from the back because what I've seen so far from Manchester United is an inability to consistently beat the press. So you I just what? don't I, get why I, every team isn't just going, we can do this, you know.
0: <laughs> I think I think the Rashford fact- factor just puts some teams off a little bit, which is fair enough. Yeah, like, definitely. I, th- I think... Really, Ericsson is such a such a big miss in in that midfield. Um, just for his his quality to drop deep and and just get his foot in the ball and he he, has he, like shows, he shows he shows really he has good well technical like, Yeah,
1: yeah, he, sh- he shows for the ball in areas which I actually like to, yeah. the ball to be played into. Like he even joins into the bat two sometimes and like that sort of intelligence and that sort of like. You know, pacing of himself throughout the game is is something that we we genuinely just miss because right now we've not got a, a single natural number six in the squad. Yeah, um, I don't know how long Casemiro's out for again, but you know, <laughs> it's 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 a problem. It's a problem, and I just don't see how we're actually going to go in in the home games. I understand people are like teams going with a bit more conservative of an approach, yeah. but when we go away to grounds, it's like any team has the confidence now to press us. And you're seeing it week in, week out, that if you get five against their five, you're a man or two up because two of our players cannot do it. So, yeah, there's it a blueprint there that Newcastle have set for for teams who want to, wait, want to get three points at their own ground against Manchester United. And, yeah, you do have to be scared of Marcus Rashford over the top, but if you can pin them in and suppress them to long balls into the channels, then... There's a there's a really, yeah, especially really if you have like high line blueprint. defenders
0: that are are like yeah physical and, and and willing to to win that pass and like a sweeping keeper behind. I think I think I don't know. I I think like T- Ten season has been impressive. I think it's just like a really awkward uh, with the. I think you have like nine games this this coming month as well. Like this month, yeah. crazy. It's so crazy.
1: We have played uh, we have played a ridiculous amount.
0: Yeah, and then um, yeah. So w- with the injuries and like, I can't, I can't really excuse that game there. But I think just in general, Newcastle are our top side in, in and of themselves. Um, so it's, yeah. it's just one of those ones. It'll uh, be interesting to
1: see how we actually adapt going forward because we're going to need to.
0: Yeah, and the, and the thing is with with the Ten Hag sides, there's always like a tweak or a, or a, or a shift that that might be novel or unexpected. Um, so yeah. I'm interested in that. It's not sort of like a, a blueprint side all of the time. Um, yeah. But we'll, we'll we'll move on and and chat about probably the biggest story of the week. I'd say, um, and, and that's Graham Potter's sacking. Um, yeah. I, honestly, I feel so sad <laughs> for him, man. I genuinely, I feel yeah. sad. Yeah. Um, Top coach, man. Top coach. He is, but but so, so there are a few things watching that Chelsea side, that Chelsea stint that like made me aware to, in in terms of Potter's like weaknesses that I hadn't genuinely noticed uh, when he was at Brighton. Um, Yeah. Sort of like the rigidity in his players. I think like positional play is fine. And I'm not asking for like the left winger to go and dribble in right eight zones or or be completely free and and non-positional. But I think like with with Potter's sides... There's minimal rotations even between the, the positional areas. I think like we yeah, saw it's it, quite strict. Yeah, we saw it on c- complete display with um with Manchester City with Stoles moving into right eight, De Bruyne dropping into six, um the wingers dropping deep, like there was so many rotations, but the actual general shape remained roughly similar. With um with, with Graham Potter side it's really a case of this player stays here. All the other players stay in their zones as well, and the only player really with license to express and move is, um, or, or was, Yao Felix. Uh, and at times, at times, Havertz as well. I think at the beginning of, um, at the beginning of Graham Potter's like tenure, he he used Havertz well uh, in terms of dropping into that right half space and um, then attacking the box a little bit. But then that was phased out a little bit. The only player. Who was sort of free from that rigidity, and not only just rigidity, um, sort of generally, but like rigidity between just rotating. Uh, the other player that was free from that was was Yao Felix, and I thought that was like really um, kind of stale for for Chelsea. Yep. Yeah, I've been a bit
1: lost with Chelsea at the moment because I'm I'm seeing. Uh, I felt like I was watching games where I was quite impressed, but then there was just stagnant. Like you say, it was just too too rigid, too static. I feel like there wasn't much I, I feel like there just wasn't much clicking. There wasn't enough there wasn't enough potency in the final third. Um, yeah. not too much aggression in the final third. We're seeing really nice pieces of play from Jao Felix and or João Felix. I uh, should probably call him, but um, yeah, just not just a bit, just a lack of ruthlessness. And I think that I've seen this uh, knocking about. I'm not sure how you feel about, it, and I'm not even sure who actually um, stemmed this debate off. But I'm not sure whether or not there is a question to be asked about, you know, Graham Potter and the way he has teams that underperform XG, mm. but they also lack potency. At, they lacked potency at Brighton and Chelsea they didn't really use a traditional number nine which meant they could have the circulation of possession and constant you know constant final third pressure but it was it was accumulated off the amount of shots people were having rather than the amount of high quality chances that we were creating there wasn't yeah. many glaring misses in in his time do you, do you know what i mean and the the, the mudric chance and there was a I think there was a another Madrid chance or maybe an Enzo chance. I can't remember which one it was, but in the in the Villa game, that definitely could have changed the pacing of the game. But just overall, I'm not seeing clear-cut chances being missed by Chelsea and I'm not seeing clear-cut chances being made by Chelsea. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah no, that's a good point. So I, I did ask that question just because it's been like, it's a trend that like, over two clubs, uh, it's not a massive sample size, but like oh, it's a decent amount of games. And I think like watching Zerbe's Brighton, obviously they he, he's brought in or promoted various players that I think are just better players than the ones that um, that that Potter was using, such as Ferguson Matoma, giving Welbeck a greater role rather than using Mope um, as Potter was using. I think all of those things contribute to the Brighton scoring more but I think in general like there, there is a question there to be asked as to why um, why Brighton sides are, or sorry why Potter sides are, are underperforming XG I haven't had the time to yeah. delve in it. if I'm just going to like brainstorm ideas now come up with like hypotheses and like without watching back much footage closely like some of the ideas I, I was thinking of is possibly like the Brighton sides and, and the Chelsea sides given they're so rigid and they're almost chess like I think there's like a slowness to the game, a really methodical nature to the game that like when a, a shooting opportunity does come up, it's it's not in a situation where it's sort of anticipated almost. I, I think it's almost like the chances come to them either after too slow a build-up to the point where players who are trying to get that finish off um aren't naturally used to shooting at that that speed of the game. Um and I don't know if that's true, but I think that could be one explanation. One of the other explanations I'm thinking of is um sort of the, the types of chances fall into players or profiles of players that aren't used to to, to putting those chances away because I remember at Brighton so many of the chances in the box fell to to Morpe, who's not naturally a player who's uh yep. gifted in that regard. But I think Morpe, for example, is a player who I think he's a decent long shooter. I think he's naturally more of a second striker, false nine, number 10 type. Um, Potter never really used him uh, in that way. But when he did pick up those areas, I thought he was really impressive. Well, not really impressive. I thought he was he was decent. I thought mm-hmm. he was good. Uh, but Welbeck's more of a natural striker. He performed well. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there was some someone like Broha or Bamiyang, although his pressing and link-up play might might not be as good as... Yeah, some of the others like like Havertz and and Felix. So, so I just yeah. been thinking, possibly there there must be something to it. I I do want to sort of sit down and, and and look through why that might be. Uh, but I, I think because it was Martin all right Case, when it, it was all right at Brighton. Like, yeah,
1: because he he wasn't there wasn't pressure on results, <clears throat> if that makes sense. Like you you're pre- you're almost pressured on you good the good football you can produce, and if you look on it in the eye at Chelsea, it's not been ridiculously bad football. It's just been stagnant football, static it's been football. So where at Brighton, yeah, where at Brighton, it's viewed a lot more as we've got seventy percent of the ball here. Like we're we're going toe to toe. You know, we're, we're we're piling pressure. And, and yeah, and, and, and mid table side, like
0: a draw is a good result.
1: Like a fair yeah, few exactly. So you yeah, they have control good. over games at Brighton, which they necessarily don't need to go and get three points in. Whereas at Chelsea he needs to control games and win games. And yeah. it it felt like they had control in patches. They weren't able to convert chances and they were far too exposed in transition. And um, yeah, I don't know. I've I seen some really good things in at the start of his tenure. I've, that Salzburg game, I think it actually was a draw, was one of the best performances, probably the best performance he actually produced from a coaching standpoint at Chelsea. Mm. Um, you know, used Sterling in that, in that Kukurea sort of role where he dropped into the left back zones
0: almost. And I I um, honestly think like Sterling. So, so he, he's been injured for a lot of, of um, Potter's time. There's his goal scorer. But that's really like his, I I think so. So it's really annoyed me that, that people are like really critical of Sterling this season when I think he's been one of Chelsea's best players Um, just because he makes things happen. And he's, one of their best creators and one of their best scorers. So in a yeah. in a team devoid of both of those things, people are complaining he's not scoring enough, but he has to be the creator. And people are are complaining that he's not creating enough, but there's nobody who's putting away some of his chances. So I think it's really harsh to criticise him for that. But I think when he has played, for example, in the Dortmund game, in the Salzburg game, um, there's a game sort of recently, just before he got injured, I thought he was impressive in that game as well. Um yeah, he but was like, really
1: good against Dortmund. I really enjoyed his performance. Yeah, so
0: he was really, really good. In general, I think like a player like that is somebody who's going to give you that spark and that movement and that ability to change a game in such a rigid system. I think with players like, um, I don't know who, like with with Havertz, for example, he's not going to move the needle um just staying within a specific area. I think Sterling's able to thrive in that specific zone. I think I would have expected more from Mudrig, but he hasn't been called upon a lot. Um and yeah, there's just I think there's just a couple of profile issues in the side. I think with James playing centre back yeah. more often uh than I would have liked to see him there, given how good he is creatively and um yeah with his ball striking. I think they can I think they kind of messed
1: up i don't i don't know how you feel on this situation I think they kind of messed up telling Jorginho. i i don't know
0: like <laughs> I,
1: yeah I, I just Enzo's not a single six and and is is I know I think he's not Enzo really playing as. I,
0: I do think Enzo can yeah, do it. Yeah, he can
1: do it. That's how good he. That's how good he can be. Like he, he did it for Argentina at times where he would drop into six and he, he would he would do it on his own. Yeah. But I feel like he has to play it in a certain sort of like in a certain game state. Like he can't just be called upon every game to do it because he, he like like we've seen he gets rampass. You know, he's he's not he doesn't cover blades of grass. Him like at six
0: it. is fine, but I think he is. He offers more by being like a central midfielder by being like a second yeah. midfielder. Yeah, I just, yeah,
1: I don't know. I just feel like, because I just don't know what, like they've been crying out for a number six for for quite a while, even without the Jorginho loss, because of obviously the aging of Jorginho and stuff like that. But Jorginho is the controller of it. Enzo is a is a dangerous, deadly final third passer. And then you, know, you have a them a two
0: left centre mid, Mal, Chukwemeka... Yeah, you could tears, you could put your free candy. you could put your
1: free eight in there who can carry or create or get into the final third. It just felt like we never really sort of seen the midfield construction, you know, actually put into place. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what I don't know what went wrong. I just, Yeah, just uh, you know it seemed what? that he was throwing throwing stuff at the wall as well. At the end, he was throwing the kitchen sink. At it. He was he was you know he was trying to see what stuck at the end. because yeah. some of the
0: some of the lineups like they even know what was going on <laughs> yeah, half the time. Yeah, having so, um, having. It- So, did you see what he said? He said something like he wanted... So, they played three at the back or five at the back and they had James right centre-back and Cucurella left centre-back. And then... Yeah,
1: either side of... Yeah,
0: yeah. and the reason he gave for that was because he wanted to be more attacking. But in my head, that didn't make sense because
1: surely you want James
0: James higher up the field. I understood his rationale in terms of he was saying with those attacking players on the field, and a high line, they're pushing up and, and winning the ball really high up. So even sort of your furthest back players are contributing in some sort of way to the attack. But they're not in their best in their best zones. I think Cucurella is a natural yeah. left centre-back of a three. But I think with James, yeah, like, he is. He, he's impressive. But I don't want him in the first line. I'd rather have James
1: in the and around the line. box.
0: I'd rather have him in the opposition yeah. box than have him right centre-back yeah. of a three. He could be further away from impacting the game yeah yeah. Uh, uh, it just depends on the team but yeah. I think if you have possession you want James really affecting the attack so I think like yeah. I don't I know think it was, was just
1: like it was quite think, disrespectful that Leicester have sniffed around the bush at Graham Potter like I'm, this is no disrespect to Leicester but his stock he's, he's been tainted but
0: he's not as low as Leicester City like at all but, but last season not last but, season but I'll say traditional like in the last four or five years Leicester you could say they're like a club that are like Yeah, to to, to
1: be fair, they are supposed to be a little bit um, like.
0: Yeah.
1: They are supposed to be higher than they actually are, but the current position of what they are, you know, scrambling around and stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like. Because imagine you you get relegated at the point, then you're finished.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And
1: Graham Potter's a coach who definitely needs a preseason as well.
0: Yeah. That's literally the the last point. The last point I was going to make was legitimately uh, going to be about how, like, with his team, I think he didn't understand the profiles of players perfectly, but I think that's part, like, down to the fact that he came into this really like ridiculous like 30, mix of players, seven yeah.
1: man squad, like, yeah. And just... then
0: in the window, you sign another, however many you sign. As a coach who's trying to ma- manage sort of day-to-day business, it's hard to just sit back and say this player is going to suit this sort of role. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he he came. There's too many players to profile and manage. Yeah. Like, I, I think I tweeted
1: this in the end tweet of his, when he got sacked, I was like, there's a lot more that goes into the coaching and the managing side of the game than just coaching the players that you put on the pitch. There's well too much going on at that club right now for him yeah. to have been the man to take all the heat. You know, I, I you um, need, it might even need just a, like, I'm perfect, my manager like Carlo. Like, it
0: might just need
1: that. For, for, the the it, for, that for an interim right manager now, or something, wow.
0: I think that, that does make sense. Um, and then yeah. give someone a preseason, like like. And
1: then give someone a preseason because I yeah. think there's not many managers, if any, in the world right now that would 100 percent succeed on
0: the pitch with that many players. You like, know who I think would be like an interesting. I, well, I I think for Chelsea, you just really like just stay true to their nature of, of giving them like a a winner, even if it's a a pragmatic manager. The the project managers make sense for them, but like. Or make sense for anyone really, but like I think just naturally staying within line of their Tuchel, Jose's, Conte's. I yeah. think like Tuchel was honestly like it, it's fumbling the back. It's, a, it's oh, like crazy looking back on it, isn't it? Yeah, it's impossible because he had that pragmatism crazy. and he loved Chelsea and he was tactically like, like, in novel. Big like, game like he was
1: tactically brilliant. Yeah, like
0: he'd come up with brilliant. new solutions, like, genuinely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, that interview he did, by the way, at Bayern, nuts. Yeah, the nuts. the one the like pitch side pitch side one after the game. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Diagonal half spaces. I did, I didn't share did. it. I was, I was trying to gatekeep life,
0: I was trying to gatekeep the interview, and then people start retweeting it. Yeah. I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, I want to, I want to say something on this myself, but I want to steal some of these ideas. Um, but no, that was lovely. I might retweet it now that I've, I've, I mentioned this. Um, yeah, it is what I it think is.
1: Someone big quote tweeted it now, so.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I think John uh, John McKenzie uh, shared. Yeah, that's one. the one. Yeah, that's who it was. Tim. Yeah, yeah, it was really good though. Honestly, like uh, I posted yeah. a clip from it as well. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see who they get. Um, I'm gonna tap should into be an Argosman, some some. Really. Much, it should be. I think it will be an Augustman. Uh, yeah, it should be. Yeah, and we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. The thing is, he is experimental anyway, and 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 he is a young guy as yeah. well. So. I think he. I think he's a better. He's, he's tactician. very
1: aggressive as well.
0: Yeah, I think he's a better tactician than. than but he than was one
1: of. Potter, yeah, I think he was one of the first managers to actually fully use a three-one-six in game. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I think he was like, the one who was committing the six bodies into the last line
0: more. I wonder what's going to be next: three-one-six, little little two-one-seven. Two-one-seven. 2, 1, you know, you know what? You know what I thought. Uh, we need to wrap this up, but but you know what I thought? I thought um, w- like uh, a one three, a one three six. Yeah, right.
1: Right. We don't have enough time to talk about
0: this, but <laughs> it's literally, right? It's literally
1: the two three five, the inverted pyramid, but it's just got one at the base instead of two.
0: Yeah. Well, I I tweeted yeah. this at like four a.m. one time, like a <laughs> couple of months ago, and then guys were saying, "What the hell are you on about?" But I was thinking, like, imagine if you have like a real like. Like a John Stones type, or like somebody who's just amazing, like a like a quarterback type. The first it'd just be there, like
1: playing a a libero or a sweeper. Yeah, it's it's legitimately playing on the halfway again. line, yes. and then yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and it's like yeah, really. It first. But but I think the wide <laughs> players, so the the guys on the end of the six, they would almost drop in as like they could drop in really deep. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And then like, yeah, there's so many to possibilities. Ball, but I yeah. think that's like a, a new a new sort of like a shape or a whatever i think there's so many possibilities with that but if we talk about that this podcast would not end so we'll wrap it, it would up not end. uh thank you so much age for joining me as per um we're back we, we, we will be back um every week um but yeah thank you so much for listening on whatever platform you are listening on uh give us a follow give us a five-star rating Uh, it's very much appreciated and obviously if you have any questions any opinions any suggestions for topics or guests at us at uh, and again podcast on twitter and you can find both mine and hs socials there as well thanks